Hey, you're drinking house coffee, unfiltered conversations brewed at the intersection of real estate life and coffee shop service. We're Maggie and Rich, local business owners and friends sharing stories and welcoming you to pull up a chair with us. The door's always open. Let us pour you a cup. Welcome back to House Coffee, episode two. We're Maggie and Rich. Very happy to be back with you, Maggie. Yeah, same. Today we're uh, talking about our resumes, a little bit of work history, how we got to where we are now. Past lives, current lives. That's right. Future Um, lives. (laughs) Future lives, yeah, (laughs) I hope. Uh, Yeah, so last week we had our first episode and we... Had a great kickoff, and I think it went really well. Yeah. And so we decided to come back for a second time. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we could do that at least one more time. Yeah. So if you heard that, thanks for checking it out. Um, if not, you can go back and find that. We'd be happy to hear any feedback you have. Yep. And uh, I think we dropped some like contact information yep. there, and, and we want to hear from you. Uh, just as we keep rolling with these, we want to... Get, hear your stories, yep. get your thoughts, um, and just uh, know how we can encourage you on whatever journey you're on. Yep. Cool. So today's um, episode about our work history, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Uh, We're gonna, we thought we would interview each other. Yeah. Like, we don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll ask or, you if you feel, if you're, if you're cool. Okay. I'm cool. <laughs> All right. Um well, I mean, there's different ways to do this. Let's just put it that way. Okay. So, so my my question was, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did I want to be when I grew up? When I was little, my earliest memory is I wanted to be a lawyer. Nice. And because um, my mom told me that I could sell an icebox to an Eskimo. <laughs> and so... She, I mean, I guess I was just a really good negotiator, which is kind of funny because that's what I do for a living today. Yeah. But um, I'm not an attorney, spoiler alert. Um, I'm a real estate agent. You probably work with a lot of attorneys. But though. I work with a lot of attorneys, correct. Um, and then when I got a little bit older and I realized all the schooling and work associated with becoming an attorney, I decided I really liked people and getting to know their stories and meeting them. And I pursued a career and an education in broadcast journalism. So I wanted to be a reporter for the local news. And when I went into college, that sort of developed into a um, major in like documentary film and, and cinema screen studies. Nice. So I double majored in broadcasting and film. And when I graduated, I was hired for a local PBS station doing as a production assistant, like the bottom of the totem pole, bottom of the barrel, like helping with the local production team. You got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. That's really cool. I didn't know that about you. I had also, I didn't study broadcasting or anything like that (laughs) or journalism. But I was interested in documentary studies, and I looked at a couple of local, yep, uh, well, a couple documentary studies programs, quote unquote, at different colleges. So it's interesting, interesting that, like, even though I'm not in that career field today, I still have like some of my college professors in the back of my head with like 
the one-liners they would say when they were teaching when I'm making Instagram reels. <laughs> yeah, that's funny how so things carry over like that. So it's just really interesting how they still use some of my education yeah. today, but not fully. Wisdom of the ages. Yeah. So should I keep going? Yeah, please. Okay, so um, shortly after I got hired at PBS um, for the local station, I was also accepted into this leadership program. I was just out of college, and this leadership program um, allowed me to travel for a year to different countries. And the point of the program was to have leaders in other countries like mentor me, and they had one student accepted per year. And a lot of kids joined when they just graduated high school, but I applied after college and knowing that I was studying broadcasting, the project or the thesis for this um, end of this program was to produce a film about like my study. So I went to Bulgaria, India, and South Africa, and I produced a documentary film about the concept of hope. And I just spent a whole year like interviewing people, editing it, and then I was able to present that feature film, quote unquote, at the end. And that was a really cool experience for me to like like, have people see that work that go into it. And the after that feature film was premiered, I should say, um, I was hired by a local church to do their media um, department. So I worked there for a couple of years and I realized after one after a year or so that like I just really didn't two things. I did not like working for a church. That was not a good experience for me personally. And number two, I just didn't enjoy the like doing video and editing as a job. It was more of a creative outlet for me. And I actually think that's a really good point to make for a lot of people is if there's something creative that you have in your life that brings you joy and you get a great amount of pleasure doing it, don't think that you have to turn it into a job because once it's turned into a job, you might not find the same joy and you might not get the same pleasure out of doing it that you do when it's a creative pursuit. Yeah. That's just my little tidbit of advice. Not saying you can't make money, but just know that like there are some there are struggles when you turn your creative pursuits into a full-time job. Yeah, and I'll leave definitely. it at that. That's a good point. I mean, it's that's a good question. I'm sure a lot of people ask themselves like how ah, I'm really passionate about something. How do I know when I want to turn this hobby into a job or a career and there's a lot of different ways to do that. I yep. have a friend right now who, who's asking me, you know, uh, he's, he's, he's a home coffee brewer and, uh, and just, he gets really fun coffees from all different places. He's got all, every little pour, every, I think literally every pour over <laughs> <laughs> device or just method of brewing you can, you can have at home. He's, he's tried them all and, and he's always talking to me about them. And recently he was like, you know, I think I want to get more serious about coffee and he's like trying to, find a place where he can get a few hours a week you know and it's and that's that's cool but it's hard sometimes to know when to do that or or to take so much ownership of it that you like try to start a whole business of your own around it that's that's a big question for I'm sure a lot of people in a lot of different things yep and I know this because people were asking me to 
film their weddings and film like other like parties and situations and I just was like ugh like there was just <laughs> so like I, I just remember doing a wedding one time and the pressure yeah. I felt to have this be their wedding video <sighs> and like needing to hire somebody to help to as a backup camera and then like the pressure to have the video edited the right way and all the footage and stuff and I just I did not like the amount of pressure and anxiety that I put on myself yeah and whereas like when this was a creative project where I was just meeting people and interviewing them and hearing their stories to me that was a totally different scenario than like this is your wedding video and this <laughs> is like yeah uh, like local a local gym hired me to do a promo video for them and like I just couldn't like the pressure was just too much. Wow. Yeah, I mean and that's fair. There's a lot of pressure on that, but especially at a wedding situation yeah. like I mean shout out to our friend Becca. She's just a wedding photographer. I don't think she does the videos so much, but like just the cameras. I mean you got to have a special personality and yep. really know what like how to how to navigate the wedding day yeah. scenario, you know. I'm sure with experience it gets yeah. Easier, but for sure. Still. For sure. When was the last time you saw that film that you created? When it premiered. Really? Yeah. Which it premiered in 2011. No. Yeah. Two, 2010. It Word. premiered in 2010. Um, how do you feel about it now? I haven't, I don't really <laughs> know how I feel about it now. Is I it think. Public? Is it accessible? It's it's Just not curious. public. It's it's on <laughs> it's in a file somewhere, like on a hard drive. Got you. I could get it to you if you want to see it. I'd be interested to see it. Yeah. And, I'm uh, not really in it. I'm just Right, right. I'm just the but just to see your work. And yeah. uh, obviously, you know, anything you do twelve years ago is a snapshot totally. of that time in your life or yep. or and your experiences at that time. It's there's a lot of ways to think about something. The movie is called Aperture Hope. After? No, aperture, like a camera. Aperture. Aperture hope. Aperture hope. Like a camera. Yeah. Aperture. Yeah. Super cool. Well, I'll be down yeah. to see that. Cool. And, uh, and uh, maybe we'll... Um, we'll have a... We'll see. We'll, we'll see viewing party. <laughs> <laughs> a subscriber-only content. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then, I guess, after I left the, like, church world um, career... I got into, I started a blog. That's really kind of the, really the the base of my, where my career path led because I I was bored and unhappy at my job at the church. Yeah. So I started a blog as a creative outlet. Again, there's that key, like a creative outlet. And I started blogging about like repurposing furniture and like a little bit of fashion, a little bit of like DIY and I wanted to explore like a home design and interior design world. So I got a job at a local retailer, Pottery Barn, and I was one of their design specialists. And I got to go into people's homes and help them buy furniture, basically, like measure their space and recommend like material and product for them to purchase. And um, so fun. That was really fun. And that, I think, that's what really got me comfortable and gave me the confidence to do staging because I was in so many people's homes. And these are people who are spending 
thousands of dollars on furniture. So this yeah. isn't just like a a quick like you know Wayfair purchase. Like this was people like some of the orders I would place were up to ten thousand dollars just for their just for sofas and accessories and things. So it got me exposed into like that world, and I there was an opening for a local builder for one of their interior selections person. And that person, the selections coordinator, would be the person who helped the person buying the house pick their kitchen cabinets, their counters, their floors, their doors, their siding, like anything that goes inside of a home. When you build a house, you have to select those items. And they would meet with me for their appointment. And sometimes it would be like two to three hours picking all those selections. And then the builder would make orders and build the home based upon those selections. And that, I'll quickly try to wrap up, that was opening my world to the world of real estate. Because when I was at that job, I was working with the realtors, like the builder's agents who represented the builder and facilitated the sale. And I'll never forget one day I was in the office and I was somewhere like in the back and I got a chance to see one of the commission checks that the agents were making. And I was like, oh my gosh, like (laughs) there's so much opportunity out there for me because I was only making, I was only on an hourly salary. So what I was paid was by the hour to help them build these beautiful homes. And then I saw that in comparison to what the agents were making when they closed on the sale. And let me tell you, it was, there was a significant (laughs) gap in what I was being paid and what the agents were being paid. And I'm like, I'm in the wrong career field here. I need to get my real estate license. Wow. And that also happened around the same time that Brandon and I bought our house. So we had just had an experience buying a house and I was in the world of real estate with, with the new construction. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get my real estate license and I'm going to, I'm going to go after that because there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. And that, uh, that speaks to some of the same experience I've had, which, you know, I'll get into, but with how just being kind of in an environment and in a culture, uh, seeing the dynamics of things, how things work together just helps like make something feel a little more accessible uh, or f- I think the familiarity that, that comes with being in, in that environment. Totally. Uh, can, can make something seem appealing or, or worth going after. When yeah. Otherwise, it would have been Well, it made it accessible to yeah. me. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. I'm working just as hard as the people who are doing that. I mean, different skills completely. Right. You know, like they were doing sales and they were going to all the walkthroughs and all the appointments. But like... The amount of time I feel like could, ended up being the same mm. between all the paperwork and the background and emails and follow up, like not just the actual two to three hour appointment, like all the time in between that scheduling and ordering and doing things for for them, and just just seeing the comparison, I'm like, oh, there's an opportunity here for me. Cool. Yeah. So, how many years have you been in real estate? Like, if you with count your that, and, with my license, started going started going after that. So I would say 10 years. Wow, okay. I've been licensed for 
eight years. Got it. But I worked for the builder two years before I got licensed. Yeah. So. Great. Yeah. Yeah, that's my that's my shortened version yeah. of the story. Um, and that helps us see like how you know you're you're big on staging and with your comp with your company Welcome Home Co. Yep. It's like it's clear to see how for you it's a unique way of of kind of marrying not just real estate selling houses but also like making them beautiful in the process and making them homey and then just just bringing all that together. I think that's a unique. Yeah. Aspect to what you do. Totally. And I am I'm passionate about this too. Like I really get so excited yeah. to be able to knowing you, I know that's, <laughs> that's Yeah. True. And like I sometimes I have to like stop and say to myself, like, okay, like yesterday I was taking un, I was unstaging a home. The home's gonna close soon. The new buyers are going to own it um very soon. And so I had to unstage the home and take apart all the beds and all the furniture. I had to stop in the middle of what I was doing and like, I was like, oh, this is a moment where I could take a video and and do a quick educational moment. So I had to stop and like (laughs) kind of like put together a little area where I could, I had to like set the phone on the floor because I didn't have a tripod and I'm like filming the video and like doing, doing the actions and um, so sometimes it's hard to like stop in the moment and do that when you're like in the flow of it. Yeah, but I'm very bad at that. <laughs> it's, it, I think it's important for growing a brand. Yeah, and it, it, you're totally right. And you're good at it and that helps. <laughs> um, you know, I, I enjoy watching your videos. Where do you post most of that content? I post it on Instagram. Got and it. that's my personal Instagram at, at Maggie From. At Maggie From, right. Yeah. But yeah, it's your personal Instagram. It's got a lot of like you're just you just kind of chronicle your life in yep. the way that a good social media <laughs> user does. Uh, but a lot of your like staging videos. If, yeah. if anyone wants to see kind of behind the scenes of or even what we mean by staging, um, it's fun to watch. Maggie does a lot of she does a good job documenting a lot of the different processes and uh, shows you just a little bit how it's simpler than you maybe you would think in a lot yep. of cases. That's just the practical totally. ways that you do it. And maybe that's unique to you. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's because it I, I'm a documentarian. Yeah. I think that's why going back to my like original yeah, that education, that's what's comfortable for me. Like I'm not the kind of social media person who's going to be like singing and dancing because that's not true to me. But I am the kind of person who will like document something and like give you tips on something that I think is practical yeah. or, or entertaining because sometimes I'll, sprinkle in a little bit of like scary houses or like weird things I see <laughs> along the way. True. <laughs> um, uh, that one you showed the other day where that you were walking someone through and it was just like, uh, my comment was like, it's half gutted already. <laughs> half demoed. Yeah. Uh, there was totally. like no walls or floors and yep. you could fall through at any point yeah. from one level to another. It was awful. <laughs> um, but you never yeah. know what you're going to see out there. <laughs> but it's because of my career in real estate that our crap, paths have crossed yeah because it if it weren't for storied coffee we wouldn't have ever met because a lot of my administrative work and a lot of my shall we say like um i don't know like comfort would just come from (laughs) just like stopping by storied and talking to you and christine when she was there about like the perils of 
clients and business and stuff. So yeah, I guess that's a good segue into like talking about your history. And I guess before we get into that, I'm I want to know I what kind of kid were you? <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting because now that I have my own kid all of a sudden I'm thinking a lot about the kind of kid I was more than ever. I'm like trying to be reflective of, man, what did I think when I was seven weeks old? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not when I was that young. But um, but I do think back often to being maybe six, seven, eight, you know. I grew up as an only child, so I think for me, that might tell you a lot already. Um, I do have a half-sister. She's 13 years older than I am. We didn't like live together mm-hmm. ever or grow up together. So I really was... I grew up with the only child. For all intents and purposes. Yeah, only child experience. Um, I lived in in a duplex at that for the first 11 years of my life, 10 years, whatever. And and there was a family upstairs that had two kids who were just, the kid was maybe one year younger than me, um, the boy, and then he had a younger sister even. And and so that was like kind of built in friends. Um, And then there was kids, there were kids on our street because we lived in Scotia, below the Ave, which is kind of a neighborhoody type of place. Below it's e- the Ave. Easy, easy to ride bikes and, uh, and go to people's houses. And um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I remember definitely like I liked being around people as much as I had my solitude. Um, you know, I was, I think I was a pretty imaginative person and somewhat inventive. Those are words that might characterize me. I, yeah, very imaginative. I think. I, in when I was in elementary school, I was definitely called weird a lot. Not that I was like you know quote unquote loser or outcast or whatever words, but but I was a little strange. Now I don't know that any third grader is not weird, and mm-hmm. <laughs> in in, a, yeah. in in whatever ways, but. But that was a word commonly used to describe me by my peers. Interesting. <laughs> and you embraced it. Uh, yeah, I guess Question so. Mark. I guess so. I think my mom would say stuff like, oh, they just say that because they like you, you know, mm-hmm. especially if it's girls. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was also very, this doesn't really factor into my work necessarily. But it is interesting in like the way my life has gone. But I was very interested in like love and like the concept of, I don't know, a girlfriend or like a relationship, you know, from like a young age, like in kindergarten, I had a crush on a girl and me and this other dude who we were like neighbors, we fought over this one girl (laughs) and uh, we were friends, but you know, we always argued about who she liked more and just that kind of thing. It's interesting. Kindergarten. And then (laughs) from second grade to fifth grade, I had a crush on the same person. Uh, We were in second grade together. And then I just like maintained that crush. I don't know what, in fifth grade, I got like, I don't know, I went on a date with Another girl. Fifth quote grade. Unquote. You know what the date was? We went to we went to um, Raymore and Flanagan <laughs> with her parents. Uh, I skated, <laughs> skateboarded down to her house. Raymore and Flanagan is a furniture store <laughs> sure local is. to our area that yeah. sells like, you know. It was the biggest heartbreak of my life up to that point that I couldn't go to her um, her roller skating birthday party because I had strep throat. Oh. And. Um, I don't think I've quite I've really ever recovered from. Uh, I recovered from the strep throat, but not the heartbreak. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to recover from that heartbreak. Um, but just to give you a sense of like when I was a kid, I don't know why I, 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 I was so invested in that idea of like there's one person in the world who, you know, you're supposed to be with and 
and like build a life together and mm-hmm. then you'll be complete, you know, some Disney thing. Yeah. I don't know. That honestly though. Culture. You know, I didn't, that literally was sort of my defining belief through the rest of, up until I was 19, basically. Wow. Up until I was 19 when a very like pivotal thing happened in my life and I came to a realization about, you know, what I take to be the meaning of life. It really came home for me in a way that I was, I won't go into it necessarily, but the the point is like I realized relationships are really meaningful, but relationships between human beings are never ultimate and they can't totally satisfy you. And that's sort of by design. So um, I think I was kind of freed <laughs> from that that, uh, that thing. And then I ended up getting married at 22 to my still wife. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we just obviously had Your a baby kid, mama. we talked about. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. That was, that was kind of what I did. I skateboarded a lot as a kid. Um, I got into skateboarding at the age of nine, maybe eight, oh, actually. Wow. Uh, and so skateboarding was kind of my identity. That was another thing for me maybe is like I always was seeking identity in something, and that might have been where that relationship thing came from. Then it was skateboarding from the age of nine, third grade, learning how to ollie um, with a foundational skateboard trick, like mastering that as a, as a third grader, and then just I continuing. I just realized yeah, the skateboard to connection <laughs> to my son's and name. your son. It's not why I named him Oliver, but it is a bonus. That's amazing. On the record. <laughs> um, yeah, so that became, I sort of hit a peak of my ability to skateboard and around maybe eighth grade. But in seventh grade, just before that, I had picked up the bass guitar and I had not really grown up as a musical kid, although I, I liked listening to music and singing. Um, I listened to like America's Top 40 on Fly 92 on Saturday mornings or whatever. Uh, Casey Kasem. Yes, dude. Shout out. So that was that was pretty definitive in my life. But then, uh, but there was there wasn't really musicality around me in my life. And then in seventh grade, I got an invitation to come like join my friend's basement band, you know. And uh, and the rest is history. I've I've been playing music ever since then, and that really did eclipse skateboarding in my life for like my identity and sense of purpose and even like skill set. Um, and what was your um, band name? Oh man, we had a few different iterations. At first, our first band was called Identity Crisis, and so fitting. Shout out IDC. Uh, true fans will remember the little emo guy that, that I that we had as our as our mascot. Um, Identity Crisis, and then that same band changed names just as we were growing up. We we went to Kill Hollywood, uh, and then with a member of that band, I started a different band with some other people, and that was called um, Radio, okay, with an exclamation point. And those are my three main like bands with other people. I played I played bass, but eventually, but I was I was the one doing a lot of the songwriting, lyrics, and stuff, and and so I eventually just sort of transitioned to acoustic guitar, so I could kind of. Uh, not rely on other people and just have more of a What was your stage outlet. name? Again, I've had different ones there, but mostly I just went by my own name, Richard Sarnacki, on, or Richard Sarnacki Making Noise it, mm-hmm. uh, was what it was online for a little while. Did you um, have a MySpace? I sure did, dude. Dude, my, yeah, shout out to MySpace. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, I had a music one and a personal one, obviously. Every band you create, even a band concept that you create, you create a MySpace for. Oh, that's like me and websites. Yeah. <laughs> you and getting domain names. Yes. Um, so let me just think here. So how did that lead you into starting a coffee shop? Well, like where was the that's actually life, a great you know, question. the fork in the road where you're like, I'm going to become an owner. So with the bands, we were always looking for places to play. We were, you know, covering songs and we were also writing our own songs. And just as kids, you're always looking for different places and it's hard to get, you know, big venues and whatever when you're when you're young, although if you could, it was cool. Um, but coffee shops would be a good a good place to to try to get in and so both with the bands and even on the solo side with open mics and stuff, I would often pursue that kind of thing. So when I was in high school, there was a local coffee shop in a little tiny hamlet of Glenville called Alplaz, and the coffee shop was called Samuel's Cafe. And it was run by a Christian organization, so it was a not-for-profit coffee house. It was an interesting concept, and like all the kids that would work there were, were volunteers. Um, they had a couple paid staff, but point is, like, it was just a really welcoming environment for for kids to hang out. And we, you know, even though it was, like, Christian-run, it wasn't – anyone could play anything there. You know, I think there was maybe, like, keep the language. Like, don't swear. Keep the language family-friendly. You and, could play whatever music you wanted, basically. And the basically. music had to be done by 9 p.m. because of the noise curfew in the, in the you know, in mm. the neighborhood. But other than that – yeah, anyone was welcome and basically like there was all kinds of hardcore shows and just like our little rock bands and, and whatever. Um, and it was a really meaningful place. I would just hang out there on the weekdays and weekends even if or just go into other people's shows even if I wasn't, you know, playing. But it was a place where where we would play. And I guess the point is like it was having that sense of belonging and a place to hang out at a pretty formative time in my life that made a, a deep impact on me. And um, they would do these open mics there. And so I found myself bouncing between open mic at Samuel's and then this other local little cafe in Schenectady and just getting a real taste for that open mic kind of thing. And that just brought, brought me to all kinds of different coffee houses in the capital region. And having that kind of environment, I got a sense of like what kind of defines a coffee house. and. Yeah and draws people to that kind of environment. And then I just, as I was growing up, so that was like high school, college, you know. Wasn't there a local coffee ago. shop, we won't say the name, that you went to and you were you were like, this is what I don't want to be? Or was that oh, like later yeah. on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That factors into like my philosophy of, of when okay. I was going to start my own business. Got it. How I would want to do that. It was it was not necessarily one coffee shop as much as like a pattern of behavior I would Got see it. among baristas or like people taking your order. Um, so did you one day, were you the kind of guy who was like, I want to own my own business one day or I want to own a coffee shop one day or did you just wake up one day and say, <laughs> I think I'm going to start a coffee shop? I literally never thought I would own a business. Okay. It was not on my radar, which is what makes me owning a business so... Ironic. Ironic. <laughs> and crazy. Uh, I think it was just a natural progression. It's like looking back, it's like, well, okay. Well, you said to before you were working for a tea shop. Yes. And that sort of kind of led yeah, you. Yeah, but that's later on. That's oh, like okay. the last step before okay. going to do my own thing. So what I was going to say is like 
looking back now, it's like, okay, obviously, and with the stories I was just telling, it's like, all right, the natural trajectory of my life was maybe that I was going to open my own coffee shop. <laughs> um, just because I grew up in a, in a coffee shop, you know. Uh, and and that was so meaningful to me as a younger person so that when I, when the opportunity presented itself, in a sense, it was like, okay, I could do that because I was familiar enough with it. Um, but it was not something that, I was on a totally different career path. I was in college ministry for four years, which I loved. And, and, um, but the, the time came just to part ways with that in 2017. And that just left me in a place where it was like, I could do, I could kind of do anything. I mean, I got to pay some bills, but I don't have career prospects because <laughs> I didn't graduate college. Uh, I don't have business acumen. Um, I don't have this, this job or career that I was just doing. So what do I want to do? What could I do? And up till that point, you know, I, I think 2017, we got married in 2013, my wife and I. So it was like, you know, some things were already settled and stable in my life. She had a good job. So we, one, something I have something I noticed was we would always kind of throw around that idea of like, we would see a place, for instance, like walking around and be like, that'd be a cool coffee shop. You know? And uh, and so I had this idea in the back of my mind of like what a coffee shop space could be like. And, you know, I could kind of picture myself doing that, but there was no plan or even real yeah. intent to do it. It just kind of was something that we had found ourselves throwing out there enough that when we came to a certain point, it was like, ah, well, you know, Schenectady doesn't really have any super cool coffee shops going on, like the ones that we are really enjoying in Albany and Troy. We were living in Albany at the time. So it was like, well, maybe maybe we could do this. And then some money materialized. Um, out of thin air. Yeah, I mean, Christine got a bonus at work, and it was, it was decent enough to, like, ask ourselves, like, well, is this worth you know, pursuing, pursuing. And, uh, I, we were living in Albany. So many little details here. This episode is going to be a part two for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were living in Albany and. But you're from Scotia. Yes. So that's what I was going to say is my parents were still living in Scotia that whole time, you know, so we're driving back to Scotia all the time to go see my parents and just hang out, whatever. And there was a, a, an, a, a building, a very specific building in town that had been vacant for a number of years that I thought was in a good location and like had maybe some old charm. And I was like, that could be an interesting place to do. If a coffee shop could work in Scotia, it could be right there. And, and there's more to say about why I would be, why I would be very specific about choosing a location in Scotia for a coffee shop. Something that this will come out in the pod, but later on, um, as I talk more about story, I right. can get into these details. But the point is, like, there had been a succession of coffee shops in town since the time I was in high school. So, yeah, from we're talking 2007 to 2014, 
there were three different coffee shops, but the thing was they all occupied the same space in town. So when we start thinking about a coffee shop, the natural question is going to be like, well, why is your situation going to be better than these other people who didn't work out? And I was like, because there's a few things, again, details, but there's a few things in place for me in 2017 that weren't in place even as far back as when the last one closed in 2014, let alone when he started in 2017. 10. So just I just was very thoughtful about the process. And totally. so I was looking out um and I and I thought that one spot could could work out. So that's what drew me to Scotia in particular. I think before that I had been thinking about okay, where could we do something like this? And I was thinking about places where there wasn't already like a presence of good coffee. Um, cause like I said, there were some cool places in Albany already, cool places in Troy, and they were really leading the way for what I call a more modern coffee approach. The more modern approach to coffee that is sort of characterizing what we call specialty coffee or third way of coffee, not to use buzzwords, yep. but just to say like, that is a pretty modern within the last 10 to 15 years kind of movement in coffee versus the old school like coffee house kind of kind of vibe. And I found myself drawn to these newer modern kinds of places, but there was nothing like it in Schenectady. No one was like making good quality coffee with espresso preparation dialed the way that that it should be. <laughs> and uh, and so I knew that and I was like, well maybe we could do this over in Schenectady where it's our home base. I'm familiar et cetera, et cetera. And, but I was looking around like Gilderland, Rotterdam, like where could this work? And then it just, it just kind of led back to Scotia. Um, There's a cool video about that, that you had in your campaign of you like driving around the Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. Yeah. We should put that up there somewhere on our website for people to see. Because it actually tells the story of Storied and you get to see our little village and you get to like point out it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's like yeah, a little... yeah. If you're an insider, um, there's cool little moments in there. Yeah, we did. That's something I think we should definitely talk about in the future for sure. For a lot of reasons. I, I mean, it's part of the story of Storied, and uh, we had a good experience doing a Kickstarter, inviting our community to join with us to to get Storied open. But also, you know, Kickstarter is a cool avenue for starting stuff. So uh, I'd love to to put that out there in the future and, and let people know about it. And, uh, yeah, we can definitely, inc- I mean, the video sure. is just included with, yeah. with that process. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's so much I could say. The point that I like making is, you know, story kind of came out of nowhere for me. It wasn't my long-term vision. I didn't want to, I didn't go to school thinking I'd be a business owner. I studied, I studied liberal arts and philosophy uh, in a very non-traditional, on a very non-traditional timeline. And I didn't graduate with a bachelor's degree. I sit before you a proud holder of simply an associate's degree, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, nothing against that. I'm, I'm, I'm six credits short of, of that bachelor's degree for a very specific reason. But, but the point is like, I'm five years into owning my own business and I didn't 
That's you know, a college experience in and of itself. It's a school of hard knocks, it's a dude. I got, <laughs> I got so much to say about that. The business school of hard knocks. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of different ways to, to focus on that question. But like you were saying before, I think what made me think I could open a coffee shop was, you mentioned the tea shop that I worked for. So when I when I finished that ministry career at that time, 2017, I I worked for six months for a local um, tea and bubble tea shop that was definitely out of my element because I'm more of a coffee person, but it was a cool experience. But it was a small family-owned business, I think, at that time. It was maybe four years old, and they were crushing it. They're still rocking now. Um, Want to give them a shout-out? Shout-out to Short and Stout Tea. Uh, we actually, Short and Stout Tea Company, we actually use their tea in our, at Storied. All cool. of our loose-leaf teas come from them, as well as when we make our bubble teas, our milk teas in the shop, we're always using Short and Stout loose leaf teas as our as our tea base that we we brew so nice um stories built on short and stout dude you heard it here first uh so i worked there and i went into that kind of knowing like i'm kind of interested in maybe doing my own thing eventually but again no timeline could have been any amount of time in the future and it turned out to be less than a year later <laughs> that we decided wow. that it would it would really snap into place um but while I was working there, I had this really pivotal experience where I got to see kind of behind the scenes of how just some of the dynamics of how business operates, a small restaurant, how, how it works. And um, I would, I had the, I had the like, just the opportunity to go to, there's a local like restaurant supply store. And working for this company, I was one of the employees that got to go to the store, which I love little stuff like that. <laughs> but I got to go there and and uh, and do shopping for the shop. But while I was there, I would see people that I knew from all these other coffee shops and restaurants. And I was like, oh, man, all these fancy food places are just getting their stuff at the local, like, the local restaurant store. It's all the same it's all the same stuff. It's just it's just what you do with it. It's you just know? packaged differently. Yeah, at their store. Yeah, or like exactly. Branded differently. Totally, totally. It's, so it's, it like peeled back the curtain. I could. Yes, it was like, man, this isn't actually that crazy of an idea. Everyone's kind of getting their stuff from the same places. And once I realized stuff like that, where it was, it was like this. There's kind of like these these proven methods, these patterns to these kinds of things. And it doesn't take, I mean, there's numbers involved and all that stuff. And I've, I'm, you know, I've learned that along the way, but it really, yeah, it made it all seem more accessible to me than I ever would have thought. The, the intimidating idea of, you know, owning a business, running a coffee shop, um, it, it sort of became, as, as I got more familiar with that environment and again, the familiarity with the processes and the behind the scenes, that made it all start to feel more accessible to me despite whatever limitations I might have had educationally or, or whatever else. Um, and I think I've, I've continued to, to have similar experiences like that as I've gone. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Interesting. There's, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to have a part two. A little bit of the story to there. Your, to, to the leading up to the opening. Sure. 
Sure, sure, sure. You know, I have more questions for you. So uh, All right. I was like, write them down. I was kind of thinking like, man, I could have a whole episode just on on Maggie's um, career progression. So mm-hmm. yeah, cool. Well, well yeah, we do got to wrap up for time. But as you say, what say that again? I said, well, you heard it here first. <laughs> yes, I'm fond of saying that. Um, sweet. Well, thanks for tuning in to uh, this episode of House Coffee. We will return with part two. Part two of our past and present. Are we going to do part two in the next episode or in, yeah. in a future episode? No, no, no. Next episode. Okay, next episode. Okay. Yeah, for I'm sure. Mentally prepared. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to. While it's fresh, we got to keep the questions rolling. Okay. Cool. All right. Word. Peace out. Next time. <laughs>